You're listening to a podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie. The Peacock opened its doors on the 13th of November 1927 with a production of From Morn to Midnight, produced by the New Players. In this podcast, we hear from director Patrick Mason, former general manager Martin Fahey, actors Pat Laffin and Eamon Morrissey, playwright Bernard Farrell, and stage manager Finola Eustace. First, Patrick Mason recalls the history of the Peacock. Uh, the old Peacock, which had been the, you know, the house next door when they got the grant in the 20s, they, they bought the house next door and they used the front room. And, and Yeats had seen it as the answer to his poem poetic plays, that they emptied the abbey, but he could do them in the upstairs room. But even then, they, it wasn't great, and it was, it was sitting there, and then of course, famously, they let Hilton and Michael in to do their first season, and the whole thing, you know, the, actually the gate starts in the peacock. But anyway, the peacock is there, and no one quite knows what to do with it, uh, because after Yates is gone, the idea of it being a centre for poetic drama, and see, it kind of goes. But when they build the new theatre, they put in the Peacock as the studio theatre, which is, again, something that was happening all over uh, Europe. It's a post-war thing, you know, where you had the main house and the studio. You had this experimental space, whatever which way you want to describe it. Uh, and so Scott Walker Talon, you know, embodied the, the studio theatre as the Peacock. But it's, I think it's quite clear that Blythe saw the Peacock uh, as being in the centre of Irish language theatre. Hence, you know, it's the only studio theatre in the world with a fly tower. I mean, utterly ridiculous. Uh, and with disastrous, let it, let it be said, a disastrous impact on the, f- the footprint of the building. It, I mean, it severely compromised the whole building because the fly tower goes up right through the, the, the one chunk of the building. A third of the building is taken up with this. Anyway, um, but Blythe very much saw this theatre as being you know, the home of Irish language uh, theatre. But that all kind of went by the board, so to speak, as, as the whole nature of the country and the theatre changed you know, through the late 60s. And Lelia saw it very much as a studio theatre. And obviously it was somewhere where you could put on new work with a minimal box office exposure. Uh, and that, you know, where you could support that work with a numerically smaller audience and it wouldn't feel so bad because you wouldn't have 600 empty seats, you'd only have 10, you know. Um, So new work began to be put towards the Peacock, but it was fairly piecemeal. Uh, And it wasn't just new Irish work. Uh, I mean, there were, you know, uh, a a series of of new British plays that were done uh, in the Peacock, I remember, in, the, in those early years. But what it, when it really came into focus, and I suppose this is influential from my own uh, sort of tenure as artistic director, was uh, when Joe Dowling became artistic director and he brought in Sean McCarthy as the, the script editor. And Sean really, uh, and Joe between them, took on this, you know, the role of the studio theatre as the forcing house of new work. And... Uh, it, it sort of gained a focus that, I mean, Tomas was very good with the Peacock, but, you know, the trouble with Tomas in the Peacock was always like, uh, you know, this, he was launching the coup from the basement to, to get his hands back on the Abbey, you know, which he did manage to do, poor Lelia was 
properly shaft, you know. So it was always seen as like <laughs> this was Tomas's uh, little kind of Crimea, you know, where he could uh, he could uh, do do his thing. Anyway, uh, and and work, you know, interesting work was always done here, like doing Jack Be Nimble, like Our Town, like like Find the Lady. These were all done down here, but it really came into focus in new, terms of new Irish writing with the arrival of Sean McCarthy and with Joe's tenure. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time down here with new plays. Um, and very, very exciting it was too. Coming to the Peacock, yes, it had, you, you could play in the Prost in the Peacock, but you could also play in what was called in the round, in that there was a mechanism of hoists and that that would flip the stage over. And it, when it flipped over, you had steps. And onto those steps that you could put, place the seats, which would have been now in the middle of the, which would become the stage area. The seats that were there in the pros would be on that. So you played to a three-sided uh, uh, stage in that, you know, audience right, audience left, and there was the loge. And it... That mechanism lasted quite a while. I, I do remember during Patrick's time, one of the jacks that used to lift it, uh, the treads went in it and we had to replace it. And this is, the, this is why I find the difference between the operation of the theatre today and in our day. We closed at Easter for about three weeks and there was headlines in the paper that the peacock was closed. And basically it was... Yes, it did help the planning, but uh, it was mainly to repair that because it was a great facility that we felt that we, we, we were losing. A uh, number of plays were staged in the round. Uh, before my time, a play that was highly successful, and it was because, not well, it was a great play, first of all, but the intimacy of the play with the audience was Tom Murphy's Famine. And that play, because of its success, Tomás McGanna brought it up to the Abbey and seemingly it hadn't got the same impact at all. Uh, so, as I say, that was, you know, without that mechanism, I think there's a great loss in the, in the Peacock. There were slots available to do lunchtime plays and I directed a Pirandello play with John Kavanagh, which was a big success. And uh, Joe was running the Peacock at the time, and then he just asked me would I direct um, uh, A Doll's House with Sorica and uh, himself in it, and I did. And it, that, that was a success, and we took it from there to some degree, I suppose. When Joe was leaving, eventually he asked me would I... He had been running the Peacock, he'd been... Um, uh, at one point artistic director of the Peacock and he asked me would I take over in that capacity um, when he left and I did and I kind of did it for two years or more with um, closely working with Tomás McConaughey and uh, we just chatted and uh, I had a few plays I would like to do and then there were a couple of new plays that came in that I got and 
I mean, I don't know if there was anything. I, I, Oscar Elge, I think he, he would have directed them himself. It wasn't a big divisory thing that I was the peacock and he was the abbey. I mean, in the, the titular sense, they had to have somebody. And uh, it wasn't a clearly defined job. I was doing television, radio, acting in the abbey, acting in the peacock, doing all those things all at the same time. But while I was there, the stage manager told me that we took off seven shows that were doing capacity business. So and I was only there for two and a half years or something, so that wasn't too bad. I liked doing... I, I selected to do Ibsen. I did two Ibsen plays, and I did a Shakespeare play. But the other plays were mostly uh, Irish plays, including one by Maeve Binchy, uh, Neil Donnelly's first play, and... Um, anyway, th those plays went on during that period. The Peacock had become a bit of a venue because at one point we were doing lunchtime plays, evening plays, and sometimes plays late at night, which was, that was quite exciting. When Joe came in, uh, the first thing he proposed was, and I'm sure there's a paper there somewhere because... I'm now surmising of the reason and why he did it, was he did not appoint a director of the Peacock. I believe that he probably felt that the Peacock, and he probably experienced it when he was director of the Peacock, that it was the second relationship with the Abbey, that the Abbey got first call on resources on the acting. So if you were trying to plan a programme, which would be approved by an artistic director, and if you wanted a John Kavanagh, well, if a John Kavanagh was wanted for the play in the, in the Abbey, John Kavanagh went into the Abbey play, and you were pro it could result then in miscasting or the reason for doing the play in the first place uh, the, for a particular role for John was uh, nullified. Uh, and uh, so that might be one of the reasons that he felt that for a consistency of having a vision of that the Abbey and Peacock jointly were, were the National Theatre, that you would have one vision for the operation of, of, this, of, of the two theatres. And uh, so he just put forward the proposal that instead of... Uh, a, a director of the Peacock, that we would get an administrative assistant that would assist both myself in the management and Joe in executing the artistic programme down there. And that person was Douglas Kennedy. He, uh, an American who uh, attended Trinity College and had set up his own company here in Dublin. And I think Douglas was around 23 or 4 at the time. So he had in 1974, a 30-year-old manager, a 29-year-old artistic director, and a 23-year-old administrator of the Peacock. Uh, youth at the helm, as Hugh once said. When I came to do the, the Joyce Men, which was the, the Joyce show, um, it was fraught with all sorts of difficulties. I conceived this um, Joyce men, these male characters from, from Ulysses, as a reading. So I had a reader, and in fact the earlier, earlier script still has the reader, reader, reader. And um, we, we, we did a tryout of it here in the Peacock, and it went very well, and then we were going to make it into a full show. 
Um, but my whole point about this, we, we got to do it in... The Abbey used to go on holidays in June. That, that was the huge thing. And, and, um, they were, that was a great time. They were always happy to have solo shows. Eamon Kelly and myself uh, kind of shared the Peacock during those years. Um, and so I was going to do Joyce Spend and I, I, at the end of, of June, but I rehearsed myself here in the rehearsal room. I, I was just me and two stage managers, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, because I bored them out of their minds. And uh, I actually rehearsed and directed myself for, uh, for three weeks. <laughs> Ludicrous. And then at the end of the day, I'd go, the, the old train service, you'd go down to Kennedy's at Tara Street Station, and while you were waiting for a train, I'd go in and have a pint and write notes for myself. And, and I, I would read the notes on my way in in the train in the morning. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know what? Talk about it, Anna Rack. But that process, it, it, it kind of worked for me. But they really um, t took me under their wing, and it, it really underlined exactly what the Abbey Theatre was about. That it is, that it does have, um, it, it, it has a legacy, certainly, but it, it, it also has its written and unwritten laws. And it, I know it does um, say that it does the work of new plays, uh, new Irish playwrights, and that it, it does the classics. And it also does the old plays, you know, that were done years ago, and the forgotten plays. And it is committed to having a look at Irish theatrical literature. Um, but it did encourage me, and a lot of other playwrights that were coming up at the same time, that also had plays in the Peacock, Graham Reed, Neil Donnelly, Frank McGuinness, a few years after that. And, you know, there was this, they, they used to call them um, the Peacock Playwrights, yeah, I did. I, I loved working in the Peacock, all right. I think more so than the Abbey. Um, I, even just from a practical point of view, uh, that you, 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 you weren't dependent on a monitor, usually unless it was an enclosed set where you couldn't see on stage, whereas you could literally see what the actor was doing. You could see their facial expressions for your cueing, uh, you know, to give your cues on, on time and that. So... Um, and you, you also had more connection and interaction with the actors because the dressing rooms were just around the corner and the green room was just around the corner. So there was far more of, I suppose, an intimate family feel about a, about a show as well, you know, whereas the Abbey are that, uh, that little bit more remote in the corner and that. And a lot of the time in the Abbey, are, you are dependent on the monitor and if the monitor goes down, you're <laughs> in a lot of trouble. You're a lifeline. And then when you get back to the Peacock, I mean, over of all, I've been all over the world with plays and theatres and things, but of all my theatres, the Peacock is my favourite and has been for years. Uh, it is a beautiful space. Unfortunately, you can't make much money in it, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful space because you can be as loud or as quiet as you like, as you want to be, and still the audience can absorb it. Uh, and you get that feeling of the audience right there with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie.